This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, June 6th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Ford hires a new supply chain chief to tackle surging cost. Clario shifts some production away from Toledo as the UAW strike there drags on. And a racism lawsuit against Tesla draws almost 240 black workers. Plus, Bridgewater Interiors CEO Ron Hall joins the show to talk about how suppliers like him are faring in 2023 and persistent challenges for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the sector. We're still learning and growing like everybody else. And just because we're a Black-owned company and a majority of our employees are Black and Brown does not mean that we have it all figured out. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford says it has hired Liz Dore, a sourcing executive at appliance maker Whirlpool, to be the company's chief supply chain officer. That's as the automaker looks to reset supplier relations amid quality woes and cost concerns. The move comes nine months after Ford warned Wall Street about surging parts costs and put its CFO in charge of supply chain efforts on an interim basis while it searched for someone to take on the newly created role. Dore's appointment takes effect June 12th. She'll report to CFO John Lawler, who's been handling the supply chain officer duties since September. That hire is part of a minor executive team shakeup announced today by Ford. Two executives are retiring. Kirsten Robinson is general manager of Family Vehicles and president of Mexico and Canada for Ford Blue. She'll retire on July 1st. And Jonathan Jennings is vice president of Supply Chain. He'll retire on August 1st. Vehicle battery manufacturer Clarios is shifting some production out of a striking plant near Toledo, Ohio. More than 400 members of UAW Local 12 have been on strike at the plant since May 8th. Beginning this week, the Ford and General Motors supplier is shifting some production from the Holland, Ohio plant to a factory in St. Joseph, Missouri. That's according to a representative of the Missouri plant's Union Local. Union members there plan to accept the work. UAW Region 2B Director David Green tells us at Automotive News, that the UAW has been in touch with the local union in Missouri since day one. According to the representative in Missouri, the UAW has not asked that local to reject the shifted production. The representative said he did not know how much production will be shifted to the Missouri plant. Before the strike, the Ohio plant was producing 125,000 to 150,000 batteries a week. A black former assembly line staffer at Tesla is moving to add hundreds of other workers to his 2017 lawsuit. In that suit, he called the electric car maker's production floor a, quote, hotbed for racist behavior. Marcus Vaughn says class action status is appropriate to address Tesla's failure to stop a pattern and practice of race discrimination and a hostile work environment at the factory in Fremont, California. His request in a court filing Monday is backed by sworn statements from almost 240 other black former employees and contractors. 
They claim they were also offended by racist graffiti sprawled in common areas and the use of slurs in the workplace, including the N-word, boy, and monkey. Lawyers for Vaughn said as many as 6,000 black workers would be eligible to join the case, though not all may seek monetary damages. Tesla did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Companies typically try to block lawsuits from winning class action status, which allows plaintiffs to pool resources and exert greater leverage in settlement negotiations. And we talked yesterday about a proposed federal rule to require automatic emergency braking in all new light-duty vehicles. Now, a group advocating for consumer and roadway safety is urging federal safety regulators to include bicycle detection in that proposed rule. Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety is a group of consumer, public health, and safety organizations, as well as insurance companies. It says performance standards in the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's proposal, quote, must ensure all road users, whether inside or outside the vehicle, including bicycles, are protected in all lighting conditions and at all appropriate speeds. NHTSA's proposed rule includes pedestrian detection in emergency braking systems, but the proposal does not include bicycle detection. It's a detail the safety group argues is glaringly missing especially as U.S. traffic deaths remain at crisis levels. And those are today's headlines coming up. Even some of the industry's leaders on diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts see persistent challenges to those initiatives. We'll hear from Bridgewater Interior's CEO, Ron Hall, next on Daily Drive. Longtime listener of AM Radio, we at Automotive News want to hear from you. We're currently taking audio submissions for an upcoming LinkedIn Live where you, the listener, can tell us why you love AM Radio in your car, how long you've been tuning in, and if you're for or against it being completely wiped out from new vehicles in the future. Legislators have recently introduced a bill that would require AM Radio to remain in vehicles to ensure access to emergency alerts. But automakers are dumping the radio as they face pressure to eliminate costs, reduce complexity, and increase EV efficiency. Please record a voice note and send all audio submissions to ansocial at crane.com. Please be sure to include your first and last name and what location you're calling from. Again, send those to ansocial at crane.com. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. 
finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. CEO Ron Hall says Bridgewater Interiors was born out of the supplier diversity movement. The Detroit-based Tier 1 auto supplier specializes in seating, overhead, and center console systems. The company is Black-owned, and most of its employees are racial minorities. But Hall says diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts among suppliers and many other automotive companies face challenges that are insurmountable given their resources, and that includes Bridgewater. I caught up with Hall at the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island, Michigan last week to talk about those challenges, as well as how his company is doing in 2023 after years of economic headwinds. Ron Hall with Bridgewater, thank you so much for joining us on Daily Drive. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You were just on stage here at the Mackinac Policy Conference talking about DE&I and other initiatives. Talk about what's going on at Bridgewater, what you're seeing, how you're approaching this work. Well, I mean, frankly, I feel like, you know, the rest of the world has caught up to us uh, in the last, you know, five or six years or so. Um, You know, as people who are familiar with the company will know, uh, we were born of the supplier diversity movement. Um, We're MBE, Minority Business Enterprise certified firm, uh, since day one, headquartered in Detroit uh, with three facilities in Michigan and one in Alabama, employing about 2,200, 2,300 people. Um, and DNI is part of the DNA of the company. Um, you know, the customers uh, have always been very clear that they look to us to be uh, leaders in the space. Um, Part of our company's mission statement is that we will seek to embody the ideals of minority business enterprise leadership. And, you know, that means walking the talk, you know, if you will. Uh, We're very proud of the the representation we have at all levels of the company. And like a lot of firms and corporations um, in recent years are learning to you know, grow our muscles a little bit and stretch into uh, new areas of employee engagement, trying to be and, and to have a more inclusive work environment for everybody. Something that you said on stage that I thought was really interesting was the support for employees. We're in a new era of workforce right now where people's needs are more specific, more diverse, um, making sure that you're supporting your employees is a DEI initiative. Talk a little bit more about what you were saying about that. Well, again, you know, we're we're still learning and growing like everybody else. You know, just because we're a black-owned company and a majority of our employees are black and brown, um, does not mean that we have it all figured out. Um, we have to, you know, make sure that we're um, a comfortable place to work for everybody, right? I mean, I think about you know the. 35%, 40% of employees at some facilities who are not racial minority persons. You know, it's got to be a comfortable place for them to work too. Um, we increasingly are uplifting our support of the LGBTQ community in the sense of wanting to communicate externally that um, that is another way in which we intend to be an inclusive supplier. We're not concerned about how you live your life away from work. 
if uh, you'll buy into our company culture, be a good teammate, and you can build great car seats, you can work for us and develop at our company, you know, as so many people have. I mentioned on the stage how proud I am of the fact that more than 40% of our salary team is comprised of former hourly team members. There's a lot of talk in automotive manufacturing about people being concerned about dead-end jobs. Well, at our company, they're not dead-end jobs. Um, people get promoted within our organization, uh, sometimes through ad advancement with um, our tuition reimbursement program. You know, we have a number of employees who've gotten degrees, you know, on the company's dime and gotten promoted. And we're also a, a feeder for racial and gender minority talent into our joint venture partner, which is another thing I'm really proud of. We're kind of living our mission into the space of publicly traded firms as well. And, and talk about the challenges of things like transportation, housing, of course in Southeast Michigan, huge, huge challenges exist in both of those spaces. How does that affect uh, how, how you're addressing this? Yeah, so I have you know lots of thoughts as just a citizen in the community about uh, the housing crisis, um, but that is not um, an issue that we have taken on um, at work. Uh, I will say, however, you know transportation uh, and childcare um, are two areas that we have talked a lot about. And you know, again, as I said on the stage, I, I, I'm not smart enough to have figured it out yet, um, given what our business model are is and uh, the, the reality of uh, the margins in our space, which is fairly commoditized, we just haven't found a cost-effective solution to really do a heavy lift to provide um, a, a transportation solution for any employees who want to use it at a particular facility, for example. So it's a hodgepodge of efforts. And then on the childcare front, um, I've, been, I've had direct conversations with Governor Whitmer about how businesses in our space are hurting for lack of more affordable solutions. It's wonderful what the state of Michigan has done with this program that'll cover a third of the cost. But um, you know, at ten to twelve thousand dollars a year per child, many employees or some employees have multiple children who would need daycare services. For companies like us, that's still not you know an affordable solution. And so, you know, without denigrating the effort, I would say you know there's a lot more that needs to happen, and it's probably going to have to come from the public policy space. Before I let you go, we have to talk shop a little bit. How's Bridgewater doing? I know that supplies are starting to ease up. I mean, um, you know, get better, back, a little bit back toward normal here. Uh, some of those headwinds of the pandemic are uh, not quite as heavy as they were before, but what are, how are things going and what are some of the big challenges ahead? I'd say that what you've described is true. Um, very generally, I'd say it's a little better. You know, this year's a little better than last year, which was a little better than the year before. An analogy I use is that, you know, the, the water has receded from the biggest issues, right? Semiconductors, ocean, freight, containers all over the place. In the U.S., the rail lines snarled and so forth. We've receded from those issues to the smaller rocks. But the smaller rocks are there. I would say tier three and tier four suppliers especially are still very much living the effects of the pandemic um, and have not been able to get some of the commercial relief that seems to have been prevalent at tier one level where we are. Um, you know, the first year of the pandemic, the automakers and the retailers did really well. Uh, year two, there was a little bit of a come to Jesus conversation about the tier ones and the commercial assistance we needed to get to start writing our ships. 
But then I think the money kind of dried up, and um, we see a lot of distress further down the supply chain, which you know we spend a fair amount of energy and resources trying to actively manage. Inventories are coming back some, but I see a lot of uh, launch delays as customers struggle to make sure they get their launches right. But that puts stress on the supply chain. You know, if you plan on a January launch date and you don't get it until June, that's half your year. Um, we're seeing that happen across our programs. So um, I'd say the industry is kind of on the manufacturing side is still limping back to health. And how closely are you watching the UAW negotiations? What would it mean if we saw a strike or multiple strikes uh, as a result of those? I'm concerned about it. I'm definitely concerned about uh, the rhetoric that I'm seeing in the media from uh, the new UAW senior leadership. I think um, I'm a little bit buffeted in that, you know, obviously this will be a very impactful year for the automakers. Um, and it'll be a couple of years before that trickles down to the suppliers, whatever comes out of these um, negotiations at Bridgewater. We have collective bargaining agreements in place for all of our facilities. And I feel generally very good about the strength of our labor management relations. But, you know, I don't want that to change. I want, I want the, what, what I hope will be the rising tide of the whole industry to lift the boats of workers as well and um, to not see a lot of labor disputes. Ron Hall, thank you so much for joining us on Daily Drive. Thank really so appreciate for it. having me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, and for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists Michael Martinez, Abigail Hamm, and Audrey LaForce for their reporting on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on suppliers, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with another Tier 1 supplier, GS3 Global CEO Lisa Lunsford, about how her company is faring in 2023 and the biggest challenges ahead for the sector. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.